Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Roger, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of my work at TexasFootball.com. Follow me on Twitter at Shahan J. Raja. Like us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Follow us on Twitter, DCTF. And folks, uh, the regular season might be over, but things are just getting started around here in Texas football land. Uh, we have a great guest later in the show. We've got Nick Castillo from the San Marcos Record to help us break down the hire of Jake Spavadol as the new head coach at Texas State. Nick Castillo is one of the best in the business. He's absolutely dialed in with that program. And it's really interesting. I have a lot of thoughts on the matter. We'll maybe get to that a little bit later in the show. But uh, like I mentioned, there's just so much going on right now. Uh, there really is no offseason uh, at this point of the year when it comes to college football. A lot of coaches have been fired at this point, of course. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury became the latest on Sunday. Texas Tech in the midst of their first coaching search since the 2012-2013 season. And let's actually start there. Texas Tech, uh, they come open. Cliff Kingsbury, everybody was rooting for him. Everybody in the city of Lubbock was rooting for him. I, I think even the writers, you know, I, I was rooting for him. It was just such a great story. He was 33-34 when he took that job in Lubbock. Obviously a great quarterback at Texas Tech University, record-setting quarterback. But just from since starting 7-0 to start that first season, it really felt like he never got things quite together. And that's not because he can't coach offense, because Cliff Kingsbury is maybe the best offensive mind, short of Lincoln Riley and all of college football. You know, those two might be the best that there is, honestly. But still at Texas Tech, the, the results never came, even with the, those hyper-productive offenses. The Red Raiders, of course, made bowl games in only three of Cliff Kingsbury's six seasons in Lubbock, including last season, and that took a miraculous fourth quarter comeback against Texas. This year, uh, the Red Raiders break into the AP Top 25, look to have a really good team. Al Bowman goes hurt, granted, but they find a way to go from, you know, being in that eight to nine win conversation all the way down to winning only five games, going five and seven, missing a bowl game uh, after losing to Baylor and helping them get to a bowl game. And Look, ultimately, that's just not good enough. Uh, whatever you think of what Texas Tech as a program is, I think that we can all agree that they're better than three bowls in six seasons. And Kirby Hoket, the athletic director over at Texas Tech, said something interesting during the press conference where he announced Cliff Kingsbury's firing. He said, we've been elite before and we will be elite again. I promise you. And that was really interesting to me because you look at Texas Tech as a program, right? Uh, they've had so many years before Tommy Tuberville and Cliff Kingsbury of so much consistent success. Uh, Spike Dykes, obviously a very beloved coach with the program. He joined uh, Texas Tech in 1988 and lasted all the way up until 1999, had a lot of success. And Mike Leach only elevated the program at that point um, before he was obviously ousted in 2009. And since then, Tommy Tuberville eight and five, five and seven, seven and five. Cliff Kingsbury eight and five, four and eight, seven and six, five and seven, six and seven, five and seven. So they haven't finished with a winning record since 2015. They haven't won eight games since that first season in 2013, when we thought maybe things were on the upswing, and it doesn't seem like that's the case as much to this point. So what is success at Texas State? I think that Kirby Hokut. Uh, is putting a lot of pressure on himself by saying, you know, we're going to be elite. Because obviously a decade ago, Texas Tech went 11-2, and 
and had a whole bunch of eight and nine win seasons around that. And I think that should probably be the target, right? I think that eight, eight wins is about what, uh, what Texas Tech should be aiming for year in and year out with this program. And obviously that means that winning five, six, seven games isn't quite good enough. If, if Kingsbury had hovered around that eight win mark and maybe had a breakout 10, 11 win season every so often, I think that everybody would take that. And that's why one of the guys who's been mentioned a lot as a head coaching candidate is so interesting to me, and that's Dana Holgerson. Dana Holgerson, of course, was the offensive coordinator at Texas Tech for a while under Mike Leach. He also served under Mike Gundy and Kevin Sumlin at Houston and Oklahoma State. But he got that head coaching job after Bill Stewart was forced out after a whole situation. I mean, if you don't, if you don't know the stories behind that, please look it up. But Dana Holgerson has been there for a good eight years now. He's won 10 games two separate times during his time at West Virginia. If, if the Mountaineers actually didn't lose a game against North Carolina early, earlier in the year, he might actually be angling for his third 10-win uh, season during his time in Morgantown. But even still, it really feels like West Virginia hasn't embraced him to the level that maybe his success would warrant. And that, that's a weird feeling, right? Because... If you're West Virginia, obviously it's a tough situation being in that you're moving over from the Big East over to the Big 12. Competing against Cincinnati and UConn is different than competing against Texas and Oklahoma. But I still think that a lot of Mountaineer fans thought that they were going to be able to come in and still, you know, not necessarily dominate the conference, but compete year in and year out for the Big 12 title. And that's happened before. Again, they won 10 games back in 2016. They had a great start to the 2013 season, their first in the Big 12, or sorry, the 2012 season, rather. 2018, again, if you, if they don't lose that bad game against Oklahoma State, then West Virginia is playing against Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. And even if they can just finish off the game last week, then West Virginia is playing in the Big 12 title game. But the reality is, Dana Holgerson's probably not going to get another quarterback as good as Will Greer or even a wide receiver as good as David Sills right away. You know, that's a tough thing to do year in and year out uh, anywhere in the country. I mean, forget just being at West Virginia. I, I mean, there are very few quarterbacks in, in the whole country that are as good consistently as Will Greer has been. So Texas Tech has been rumored to be in the running for Dana Holgerson, and, and I don't know if he'd leave. I, I really don't know if he'd leave because Texas Tech and West Virginia are probably somewhat lateral jobs. Um, and, you know, at this point, I think that West Virginia is more built up than Texas Tech is. Now, Texas Tech can get there, no problem. But at this point, at this moment, I do think that uh, West Virginia is a more built-up program. But at the same time, again, I, I think the pressure would be a little bit less for him at Texas Tech. I think that they'd embrace him. I think that, look, <laughs> I think Texas Tech would love the eccentricity that Dana Holgerson brings to the table. And, and West Virginia fans love that, too. But... Um, I think that would be something like we saw with Mike Leach. I, I think it would almost define his job, who he is, uh, the way that he interacts with the Lubbock community. I think it would be a great fit. And so will Dana Holgerson happen? I don't know. But obviously Texas Tech has a couple of other options as well. Uh, the leading candidate at this point from what we've heard seems to be Utah State coach Matt Wells. And Wells has been very successful during his time at Utah State, and actually, Wells is a Utah State alum. He came back, took over the program a couple years ago, uh, within a couple weeks, actually, of Cliff Kingsbury taking over at Texas Tech. He won nine games and ten games right away, but you do have to point out, six wins, three wins, six wins in the middle over there, 
but then back tied for first place in the Mountain West. Uh, he went 10-2 and two this season. They'll be in a great bowl game this year, no doubt about it. But, you know, I mean, it's not like this is a home run. It's not like this is a slam dunk hire by any means um, if they do end up making it. But I do think that it would be interesting to bring in somebody from the outside, somebody who maybe isn't a traditional sort of air raid insider at Texas Tech like they like to bring in sometimes. Um, you know, some of the other guys that have been mentioned for the job, I, I just want to get off the table. Brent Venables, I don't think it's going to happen. Dave Aranda, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, Mike Leach, let's just get that out of the way. That's not going to happen. Um, Jim Levitt, the defense coordinator at Oregon, has been mentioned quite a bit for this job, and I do think there's maybe something there uh, for whatever reason. Obviously, what people keep bringing up is that Kirby Hokut actually played for Jim Levitt. Levitt was Hokut's defensive coordinator when he was at Kansas State, but I don't think that's going to end up being enough to push him to this job. I mean, it's Levitt hasn't been a head coach in quite a while at this point, and he had a fantastic year at Colorado, and other than that, I think that it's been a while since Levitt has posted some really consistent success. So, I don't know. It's an interesting name. I, it's not one that I'd pick personally. Seth Luttrell has kind of fallen to the back of the line, it feels like, at Texas Tech. And that surprised me a little bit. I'm not going to lie to you because Luttrell's had so much success in such a short amount of time at North Texas. He's learned how to build a program. I think that uh, he's even done a lot of the off-field administrative stuff really well helping to fundraise, they're obviously bringing in and, and going to have a whole bunch of new facilities at North Texas, which is great and impressive. So, I don't know, I, I'm a little surprised that Latrell's not a bigger part of the equation, but <laughs> selfishly, I'd love to see Latrell stay at North Texas and, and keep building over there. Um, you know, there's a couple other names, but, but the reality is I do think that uh, Wells is the front runner right now, and that's going to be an interesting fit, I think, because uh, Wells has not coached in Texas before. Before Utah State, he was at New Mexico, Louisville, and Tulsa, and Navy, actually, has a lot of different position coaches between 1997 and 2001. So I don't know. Uh, Texas Tech has a lot of decisions on their hands, and I think that it's going to make a big difference about the future of this program, what they end up doing with this hire. Anyway, we're actually going to bring in our guest today. We've got the San Marcos Records, Nick Castillo. Nick is a great guest, one of the best beat writers that there is for Texas State Athletics. Uh, he's going to come in and talk about Texas State's new hire of Jake Spavadol. And I'll actually come back with some comments right after the break as well. So stick around. We'll be right back. We're joined now by Nick Castillo. Nick covers Texas State Athletics for the San Marcos Record. Nick, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Ah, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm sure the last couple of days have been especially crazy, huh? Oh, you know, just the normal with a uh, with a new hire, but yeah, things things definitely been a little crazy. Yeah, well, you know, you've been all over this this Texas State coaching story, of course. Um, and and the big news, of course, Texas State looks like they will hire Jake Spavital as their next head coach. What what are your initial impressions of the hire? Um, I think it is a move in the right direction in terms of. Uh, I know a lot of people were excited about what Texas State has done on defense, but offensively they've struggled over the last three years. And and people have wanted to see offense. And Jake Spavadol is that kind of guy to bring offense to San Marcos. And that's the first thing that came to mind is this is now going to be a team that, that can do something that they really haven't done and, and have success offensively. You know, 
we've talked a lot the past couple of weeks about the the whole firing of Everett Withers, the decision that went into that. Um, you know, you mentioned it. They've been so good on defense. They've recruited at a high level. They haven't seemed to be able to put things together on offense. Uh, now, just just going back a little bit, did you think it was the right time to make this decision on Withers, or were you a little surprised? I was surprised. Uh, no doubt in my mind that I thought he would get a fourth year. Um, but going back, you know, he kind of dropped some 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 things in his press conferences when I went back and listened that, you know, kind of hinted that he might have been on a hotter seat than I thought. Um, I was surprised that the move came a week before the last game. Um, I think that threw everything into just chaos here. Um, there's just been so much that's just been going around about how it was taken not only from everyone as fans, but the players. I mean, I don't think the players took it as, as, as great as they expected it, especially when you have a guy that you know, they really believed in. So um, I was surprised. I know the record doesn't show it. I know the record is, is in the end of things is just not great, but they really were showing some progress there. I mean, that last game, of, I point to that last game that he coached in and uh, the year before Troy on the road blew him out 62 to nine and the game ended up this year being 12 to seven. So I thought progress was happening, but I was definitely surprised to see this move made so soon. How do you think that Spadol fits in Texas State? Obviously, he coached the last couple of years before he went back to West Virginia at Texas A&M. But, you know, it, both at West Virginia and at Texas A&M, there were criticisms about his offensive play calling. How do you think he fits in at a place like Texas State? That's interesting. Um, I'm... I'm Seeing him being a spread guy uh, is interesting because I don't know that Texas State has really. I think they've wanted to be that kind of spread, dual threat kind of kind of team, but they never really got to it under Withers. Um, I think he fits kind of to the style that they have um, in terms of the, their playmakers. They've got some young guys that will fit, you know, that kind of uh, wide receiving core that these teams have. Uh, at quarterback, I'm kind of interested to see how how either Willie Jones or Tyler Vitt fits into that into that system. Um, I know he's had success with the quarterbacks that he's coached so far. So um, I think it's an interesting fit. Um, I think it became abundantly clear that Texas state, you know, in this search was looking for someone that clearly had Texas ties and, and, you know, Spavadol has that Um, not to say that Withers didn't have ties to Texas, obviously having coached here before. Um, But I think he fits I think he's a good fit. I'm interested to see how it all fits together on offense because I know that's going to be the first thing that people look at is how does this offense improve next season. So looking at the roster right now, uh, obviously Everett Withers was tasked with rebuilding that roster to an extent. Uh, in terms of the offensive athletes, you mentioned Willie Jones, you mentioned Tyler, Tyler Vitt, obviously Jalen Gibson, a couple other guys on the roster. How do you think they fit into what Spavadol wants to do? And do you think there will be a big adjustment process in terms of building the roster to what he needs? Um, you know, I don't think it's going to be too big of a jump. I think that's the good thing about, you know, when we look at the lower levels of Texas high school football, everyone's running the spread. I mean, it's obvious. But I think the guys that Withers has brought in, especially, you know, a guy like uh, Tyler Watts, who's an outgoing senior, kind of mentioned it Um on Saturday, he said this is probably the the most uh, athletic group of wide receivers he's been a part of. So, I think those wide receivers fit in. Um, 
you look at it, Keenan Brown got an additional year to play. So if he comes back to play under Spavadol, that's something that could be a threat that they have there. Um, something to watch, uh, something that I'm interested to see is how Texas State starts to run the ball. That's really been the struggle offensively. I mean, they haven't really been able to do it. And Willie Jones was the leading rusher um, for this team, and he missed quite a few games when you really look at, at things. Um, they have the talent. Um, I'm interested to see how the offensive line gets made up. I, I think Withers' style was more geared towards some more athletic linemen, and it really didn't pan out that way. Um, so I'm kind of interested to see how, how things fit there. Um, I think he's an interesting hire uh, when, you look at the, when you look at the offensive roster because I think he can uh, grow upon what, what Withers brought in. And hopefully for Texas State that they see you know, quite a bit of growth in that first year. Well, this is obviously Texas State's third coach since joining the FBS. The, the first one was Dennis Francioni, who obviously was, you know, a retread built in to build the program. Uh, Everett Withers was a little bit of an older guy with a lot of experience at a lot of different schools. Now they're kind of going in completely the opposite direction in a lot of ways, hiring the second youngest coach in all of FBS football. Uh, how do you think that dynamic is going to fit in at Texas State, just in terms of hiring somebody who's so young and who hasn't run a program before? I think it's a, I think, you know, you look at the trends, you know, there are a lot of younger guys like that. Obviously he'll be, I think you said what the second youngest head coach. Yes. Um, so I, I think that fits in well with a lot of college guys. Um, I think it fits well. I mean, you see guys like, um, oh my guy's name's escaping me, but, uh, the LA Rams head coach, uh, yeah, McVay, you know, guys like that. I think, I think players really, you know, tend to, to, you know, latch on to a kind of coach that really isn't, you know, too much older than them. Um, I think that's going to be interesting to see how the players grow to him because it's always awkward when a, a new coach comes in, especially for a team. I think we talked about the defense being so good. I mean, that defense is, is really going to be you know, upperclassmen heavy. How did they adjust to a younger coach and how do they adjust to, do they buy into what he's, uh, what he's bringing into Texas state? Um, I think that they'll like that his the, the youthful energy he'll bring in, but it's it will just be a matter of do they do they buy into to what Spavadol brings into Texas State. You know, obviously it's still very early. This hire only happened you know a couple hours ago, uh, but there's already been some talk that that obviously Texas State might be looking at Bob Stitt as offensive coordinator. Do you know anything at this point about offensive defense coordinators, whether there's been any thoughts at that point? Um, not at the moment. I can't, I can't confirm anything uh, beyond the, the idea that Spavadol is coming here, but um, I have heard that about the, about Bob Stitt and that interest, that should be interesting for all uh, Texas state fans. I know some people were asking about him and, you know, he's a name I kind of forgot about until I went in, went in, uh, reminded myself about what he did with um, back in his time. I know, I know, I was reading about him and uh, how he helped uh, West Virginia or Dana Holgerson at West Virginia when they played Clemson uh, back in what 2012. So I haven't heard anything about about who he wants to bring in. Um, I'd be interested to see if they keep. I was asked this question uh, before about them possibly keeping Chris Woods on as defensive coordinator. Now I can't say that that's what they'll do, but he is a guy that wasn't 
uh, on the original Withers staff, so he hasn't been here under Withers. He wasn't under here under Withers for very long. I think he's only in his eighth year here, eighth month here at Texas State. So he's a guy that I would I would be interested to see if they if they want to keep him on staff. But beyond Spavadol coming to to San Marcos, I haven't been able to confirm anything other than that. Do you think that it would benefit Spavadol to have a guy like Stitt here who's been a head coach before? Possibly, I think that's. I think it's always good to bring in, uh, to bring in those who have experience at that level. Um, uh, coaching, being a head coach, especially being someone who's, as you said, going to be the second youngest head coach in FBS. Um, I think that's a good idea. Um, anything that, especially with a guy like Sid, any any guy, any person that can bring in, you know, some help to that offense, an offense that has struggled, you know, I'm sure would be welcomed here at Texas State. You know, I, I have to ask, of course, you're a Texas grad. What do you think about this game this upcoming weekend? Ooh, man, you put me on the spot. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's really hard to beat a team twice. Um, but I, I think that when you look at, you know, the Red, what are we calling it, a Red River rivalry? Red River shootout, whatever it's called. I don't know what we're calling it these days. Okay, what, what, whatever it's being called. Um, I think it comes down to who's the more physical team. And you know Texas over the last couple years has been the more physical team. So if that if that keeps up, I, I like Texas's chances. Um, I will say I, I I think Kyler Murray is playing out of his mind lately. So I think it's going to be an interesting game. But if you had to ask me, I, I would probably take Texas just because I think they're the more physical team. Awesome. Well, that's Nick Castillo. You can follow him on Twitter at Nick underscore Castillo seventy four. Read him in the San Marcos Record. Nick, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Nick Castillo for joining the show. Nick and I actually used to work together, funnily enough, when we were both college students. He was over at Texas, I was at Baylor, and we both were part of the Dallas Morning News College Blogger Program. Fantastic program. Make sure, uh, if you're a college journalism student, make sure and try to get involved with that. Anyway, uh, like I mentioned, uh, you know, I wanted to, to touch on the Texas State hire a little bit, and I really do like this hire. Uh, you know, J Jake Spavadol has come under some criticism in the past, especially at Texas A&M, of course, for his play calling. But I think what people sometimes forget about these guys is, you know, Spavadol's really, really young. He's only 33 years old. He's going to be the second youngest coach in FBS football. And these coaches learn. You know, they learn from their mistakes. They learn how to do things better. And I know that it's easy to look at guys like Cliff Kingsbury and Lincoln Riley, and they were so successful and so good so young. I think that there was some worry that maybe Jake is what he is, but I don't think he is, of course. Um, you know, and, and I am going to be curious to see what he decides to do at his coordinator spots, because when you're such a young guy and haven't coached maybe at this level before and haven't uh, been a head coach before anywhere, really, uh, I think that that's going to make a big difference is finding guys around your program who are able to come in and teach you how the ropes, teach you how college football works, what you need to do. And I think that if Spavadol were to bring in Bob Stitt, I think that would be a tremendous fit. Uh, you know, we, we talked about it a little bit during the interview, but Stitt got a lot of credit the, uh, the last couple of years because back in 2012, Dana Holgerson actually instituted sort of a sweep play that Bob Stitt came up with, and he earned a lot of attention for that. He's a great offensive mind. He's a really interesting guy. And he actually spent the last year as a, an offensive analyst at Oklahoma State, which 
I mean, again, learning from Mike Gundy is not bad. Trust me, it's not bad at all. He's one of the best offensive minds in the country, too. If you bring in Jake Spavadol, I think that bringing in a guy like Bob Stitt would really help the offense come together. It would really help him administratively as he learns to navigate through the difficulties of being a college football head coach. And I think ultimately, especially if he's willing to come for the price that Tech State is willing to pay, which we know isn't necessarily a whole lot, uh, I think that Stitt would be a great fit. And, and we mentioned, too, defensive coordinator Chris Woods was excellent this year for Texas State. I, if you can keep him around, and maybe you can't because, you know, he's obviously an Everett Withers guy. But if you're able to keep him around, I think that would be a great move because this defense took a lot of step forwards this year, um, you know, at Texas State. Uh, and that's what we expected, of course, from, from Everett Withers' team. Everett Withers was a defensive coach before he came and took the head coaching job at James Madison and then at Texas State. The defense has come together. Now it's just up to the offense to follow suit. That's what it comes down to. You know, uh, when you hire Jake Spavadol, you're saying, we want our offense to catch up. We think that our defense is good. We just want one of the better offensive minds in this, you know, in the country right now, at the age that he's at, to come in, innovate, bring them to the 21st century, and do really in a lot of ways what Everett Withers wanted them to do. We mentioned it extensively. When uh, Larry Tice decided to fire Everett Withers, you're speeding up the timeline. You're saying right now we have to be ready to go out and win games right away. We're judging you based on wins now. And you've brought in a coach now in Jake Spavadol that I think has at least some ability to do that. I'm curious to see whether it works out. I'll be at the press conference on Friday for his introductory press conference. Looking forward to it. Uh, it would actually be my, it'll actually be my first time uh, being involved with football stuff at Texas State. I haven't been down there before, so I'm excited to see their facilities, excited to see what they've got. And yeah, again, I think, look, the reality is when teams in Texas are good, I think it's better, as, well, for us, of course, we're TexasFootball.com, but I think it's better for the state in general, too. So I'm excited to see whether this hire can work out. And uh, we'll be watching Jake Spavadol very, very closely over these next couple of months. Anyway, to the task at hand, we're going to finish out. There's only one game that's involving State of Texas teams this weekend, but it is a big one. We got Texas versus Oklahoma part two. Of course, this is the first time that Texas and Oklahoma are playing each other for a second time in a season since 1903. It's been over 115 years since these two teams have played each other twice. Uh, it's going to be an exciting one. Uh, obviously, the game taking place 11 a.m., the Big 12 championship game at AT&T Stadium. Texas is a 7.5-point underdog against those pesky Sooners. And look, when, when we're talking about this from a Texas perspective, it's all going to come down to shutting down a kid that I know that Texas fans are familiar with, Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray's putting together one of the best seasons ever in the history of college football by a quarterback. Uh, you know, right now he's got over a 200 passer rating. Are you kidding me? He's on pace to shatter Baker Mayfield's passer of, uh, rating record, which he set just last year. He's completing 70.6% of his passes, 12 yards per attempt, 37 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, and we haven't even talked about his rushing stats at this point, of course. 113 carries, 853 yards, 11 touchdowns. Those are running back numbers. Are you kidding me? Kyler Murray has been everything that we expected at Oklahoma and so much more. It's crazy to think that this is his first year as a full-time starting quarterback, and it's honestly a little sad to know that this is probably the only year of Kyler Murray as a quarterback that we'll get. However, 
for Texas, Texas's defense has been slipping the past couple of weeks, and, and their defense has really been what's been able to keep them in games, uh, help them win games, of course. And, you know, I mentioned it in a piece that I wrote on TexasFootball.com, but Todd Orlando, if, if the season ended after the Oklahoma game, you know, Orlando probably could have had his pick of head coaching jobs, but since they beat Oklahoma, you know, they played Baylor 23-17, that's fine. Then they lose 38-35 to Oklahoma State. They lose 42-41 to West Virginia. Uh, 41-34 is the final against Texas Tech against their third-string quarterback. They do have a great game against Iowa State, 24-10, but then they keep things a little too close, 24-17 against Kansas. And now you're playing against an Oklahoma team that, to this point, the only flaw in their whole resume is that game against Texas. That's the only one on the whole resume. Other than that, the Sooners have been almost perfect. Now they almost had a slip up against Oklahoma State and Bedlam, and that's something that happens. I'm not terribly concerned about that. Obviously, they do allow 40 points to Kansas, but that game was never truly in question. And last week, they beat West Virginia by only three points. So now, both these teams are coming into a game, obviously Texas in a Big 12 championship game for the first time since 2009. No. This is the second year that it's back, but the, the Longhorns haven't won a conference championship over that span as well. Oklahoma, on the other hand, is angling for their fourth straight conference championship, which would be the most in a row in Big 12 history. Uh, the only time that any team's even gotten three to this point was 06 to 08 when the Sooners had Sam Bradford. So it's going to be a tough game for, for Texas, and it's going to be a big opportunity for them because we talk a lot about what Tom Herman has been able to do here and he's done a good job and obviously I don't think that anybody truly expected that Texas would win nine games in just their second season under Tom Herman but they came in there they they won a lot of close games Sam Ellinger has quickly transformed himself into one of the best quarterbacks in in the Big 12 at this point uh, you know behind Kyler Murray and Will Greer I think that Sam Ellinger probably has to be that third guy he hasn't turned over the ball he's been a factor in the running game uh, he's been everything that they needed him to be to win a whole bunch of games. And Tom Herman said earlier in the week that he feels like they're ahead of schedule. And I think they're right. You know, he got a little bit flamed online for saying that because, you know, you're at the University of Texas. You're not supposed to say that you're ahead of schedule when you just go out there and you win nine games. But, you know, I think that you have to look at what happened the years before, obviously. You know, they only made one bowl game under Charlie Strong. So now, you know, you come in last year, obviously you win a bowl game. This year you go from seven or six regular season wins all the way up to nine wins with an opportunity to win, to play at least two more games. I think it's impressive. I do think that they've overachieved. I do think they're ahead of schedule. But now you go into a game, all the pressure in the world. You can't try to pretend that you're an underdog anymore because Tom Herman's done a great job in the games where he's able to say that, hey, nobody believes in us, we're underdogs, whatever. Now, Oklahoma's going to be favored in this game, and they are, by seven and a half points. But still, Texas has to come into this, and they can't act like underdogs. They can't treat this game like nobody believes in them because they're in the Big 12 championship game. This is a do-or-die game. Oklahoma wants to win this game just as badly as Texas wants to win this game. There, there's no sort of uh, advantage of you know being more well-prepared, being more motivated. That doesn't exist when it comes to this game. And it's going to be an exciting one. I'm, I'm really excited to see it. Uh, we have a sellout on Saturday, 11 a.m. 
at AT&T Stadium. Now we'll see. <laughs> 11 a.m. a little on the early side, and it's in Arlington, which is in the middle of nowhere. So we'll see whether everybody arrives on time. But it's going to be a raucous atmosphere. Rumor has it that they're going to split it down the middle once again. So it's going to be like you know going to the Red River game and, and the red on one side, sorry, crimson on one side, and the burnt orange on the other side. It's going to be an absolutely crazy atmosphere. I can't wait to see it. And look, even if Texas loses this game, they're still ahead of schedule. They weren't supposed to be in this championship game until West Virginia lost to Oklahoma State. It really looked like there was no chance that they were going to be in this championship game. This is an opportunity for the Longhorns to play loose, play free, and go out there and, and, and try to win the game. That's what it comes down to. It, there's no pressure on Texas, in my opinion. All the pressure is on Oklahoma because if they win this game, they have a great shot at a playoff shot. And if they lose this game, I mean, they're what? They're down to the Alamo Bowl? Like, that, that's what you're talking about, right? I mean, Oklahoma has been in the college football playoff two of the last three years. Obviously, before that, it had been since 2015 that they weren't in a BCS Power 5 bowl game. They were in the Russell Athletic Bowl and got killed by Clemson. And even before that, Sugar Bowl, Cotton Bowl, then there was the Insight Bowl before that. So this is a big opportunity for Texas to knock the Sooners down a peg. It's your closing statement of the Big 12 season. If you can win some recruiting battles by winning this game, by saying, hey, we're Texas, we're year two under Tom Herman, and we're already ahead of schedule, we're already ready to compete for the Big 12, it's a big opportunity. And look, I, I think that Oklahoma probably has the upper hand, but who knows? And just going into matchups a little bit, again, the one that I'm really curious to see is that, uh, that Kyler Murray versus the Texas secondary. Early in the year, Caden Stearns, Chris Boyd, they were some of the best players in the Big 12. Stearns has kind of faltered a little bit, but that's mostly just being a freshman. I, I'm not terribly concerned about that for now or his future or anything like that. And he was named all Big 12 on, on Saturday, or uh, sorry, excuse me, on, on Wednesday. I don't even know what day it is. It's been an exhausting couple of days. But Caden Stearns has been able to, to come in, um, contribute right away. He's become an all Big 12 type of player. But still, uh, especially with Brandon Jones, maybe still a little bit hobbled, you have to show up big if you're that Texas secondary because Oklahoma can dice you through the air if, if they want to. And the last thing that you need, the, the last thing that you want is for Oklahoma to be able to spread out your defense and start pounding it up the middle with their running backs. Because on the Oklahoma side, they've started to run the ball at a much, much higher level. Their running back, their freshman running back, I believe, Kennedy Brooks, he had 993 yards on 103 carries with 12 touchdowns. Like, that, those are silly numbers. This is one of the most efficient offenses we've ever seen in the history of college football. On the other end, the way that Texas win this game is, I think, is the same way that they won the game against Oklahoma a couple weeks ago, or I guess about a month and a half ago. You have to force turnovers. You have to cause Kyler Murray to make mistakes because in that game, Murray turned the ball over twice and now they came back and had this crazy sort of run to be able to make the game closer than it was. But Texas was the better team by far for three and a little bit quarters. And Oklahoma owned that fourth quarter, but Texas was still able to pull it off. So Texas has to force a couple of turnovers. They have to win the line of scrimmage like they were able to do against Oklahoma in their last matchup, and they have to scramble that Oklahoma defense. Oklahoma's defense is nothing special, trust me. <laughs> we, we all watch that Red River game. They're not all that special. So you need to go out there. Ellinger needs to 
take care of the ball. He can't have any turnovers. Uh, if, if Ellinger has a turnover, uh, Oklahoma is going to probably win this ball game. They, he just needs to get the ball, take care of it, run the ball a little bit, get the ball to his playmakers, little Jordan Humphrey, Con Johnson. And there's every reason that they can win this game. I mean, Texas beat this Oklahoma team a couple of weeks ago. So we can't say that there's no way that it happens because it has, in fact, happened just this season. It's going to be a tall order. I am going to pick Oklahoma to win this game. But you know what? I think it's going to be less than that seven points. I, I think it's going to be less than a touchdown. I think it's going to be a tight game at the end. And I think that Texas ends up covering, but Oklahoma wins their four straight Big 12 championship. Anyway, we've only got the Big 12 championship game left, but college football is far from over at this point. Obviously, after the Big 12 championship game and after a bunch of other championship games on Saturday, we'll learn about the college football playoff rankings. Oklahoma looks like they're in a great spot to make it as long as Alabama beats Georgia. And then we learn about bowl matchups. Uh, you know, Texas, if Oklahoma were to make the college football playoff, Texas is probably heading to the Sugar Bowl. Then Texas A&M, Baylor, TCU, Houston, North Texas, all of them will be in bowl games. Half of the teams in the state this year will be making bowl games. And that's not nothing. You know, North Texas, I think, were a little disappointed by how things ended. But they look like a great shot for the New Mexico Bowl at this point. Maybe the Armed Forces Bowl. Houston's a little all over the map. Baylor and TCU. <laughs> If you had told me earlier in the year that both these teams would be making championship, or sorry, would be making bowl games, I don't know if I would have believed you. You know, Baylor, I felt like missed their opportunity when they lost to Duke, and then when they lost again to TCU, that was a huge letdown in my opinion. <laughs> in a lot of ways, Baylor should have beaten TCU and should not have beaten Texas Tech. And now Texas Tech was playing with their well original starting quarterback, but without their true starting quarterback, Alan Bowman. But Baylor goes out there, wins a dang football game. And TCU, <laughs> TCU playing against Oklahoma State, they just prove, you know, they're a gritty team and they can go out there and win football games, even without their best players. Jalen Rager, by the way, is just, I have no idea how he got to 1,000 yards. Playing with three quarterbacks, being inserted into the wildcat at different points. TCU absolutely owned their bowl game, or earned their bowl game, rather. And look, impressive, uh, impressive stuff from Baylor and TCU this season. Houston, again, a little disappointing. North Texas, a little disappointing. Texas and Texas A&M, I think they're rising into bowl season right now after Texas earned a trip to the Big 12 championship game and after Texas A&M managed to pull off that seven-overtime game against LSU. And actually, let me talk about that for a second. I was actually on the sideline for that game, and I could not believe what I was seeing. You know, we were allowed to come down to the field with six minutes left in the game. And... I stood there on the back sideline behind the end zone where they were doing overtime. And, you know, I was, I was kind of shocked that they, that Texas A&M got that extra second back on the clock to end regulation. They throw the touchdown, crazy play. I'm like, wow, this is the biggest play of the game. That's crazy. Little did I know we were going to go to seven overtimes, score 146 combined points, the, the highest scoring game in the history of college football. What a freaking game. I mean, and, and I don't want to get distracted by all this extracurricular stuff that happened off after the game because this was a tremendous game. Both defenses were gassed by the end. Both offenses were trying to find new and unique ways to score points because Texas A&M had an elite rush defense coming into this game. And LSU had an elite pass defense coming into this game and really overall defense. It, it was a great game. It was one of the great games in the history of college football. 
Not, not one of the best, I'm going to be clear. Not one of the best, not one of the most meaningful. It wasn't a terribly meaningful game. And you know what? Texas A&M, probably going to go to like the Chick-fil-A Bowl or something. But it was a fun game. It was a fun day. Uh, Texas A&M was absolutely wild. That roar of the crowd after they won in seven overtimes, nothing like it. College football's the best. College football's really, really the best. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us, everybody. We'll be at the Big 12 Championship game on Saturday. We'll be at Jake Spavadol's introductory press conference on Friday. It's an exciting time ahead. Maybe we'll even make it to the Gaylord for the college football playoff reveal. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, thank you so much for joining us. Like I mentioned, you can follow us on Twitter at DCTF. You can like us on Facebook at Dave Campbell Texas Football. Please go to TexasFootball.com for all of the newest content from Dave Campbell Texas Football. Make sure and check out Dave Campbell Texas Basketball, which is now on shelves, and the Dave Campbell Texas Football Rising Magazine. The cover was released today, and if you're a Texas A&M fan, you need to go check our website to see the brand new cover. It's a good one. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you guys again next week.